The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. If you want to teach people, they have to trust you. And the only way they're going to trust you is if you reveal who you are. That means your vulnerabilities. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be genuine. That's Frank Doherty, the instructor, arranger, DCI Hall of Fame member, and Grammy-winning audio producer. On this podcast, he looks back through his career and shares three things he wished he had known when he first started teaching. This podcast conversation is sponsored by Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. Members can watch the video version of this podcast at marchingartseducation.com. Frank Doherty on three things he wished he had known when he started teaching on the Marching Roundtable. podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to lead the charge through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. The Cesario collection of marching band uniforms is 100% machine washable, includes a limited lifetime warranty, and makes the fitting process a breeze with their adjust-a-cuff and Adjust-A-Hem technology. Now is the perfect time to create a new image for your program. Chat with a live FJM representative or schedule your complimentary consultation today at fjminc.com roundtable. That's fjminc.com roundtable. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, family owned and operated since 1960. Hi, I'm Dennis Delucia. Recently, I had the opportunity to shoot a webinar with my dear friends, Steve Rondonero, Tom Blair, Lindsay Vento. And it was for Marching Arts Education, uh, an operation started and run by the great Tim Hinton. And it would be terrific if you all joined, became members of MarchingArtsEducation.com so that they can continue the great work that they have uh, begun to do in behalf of all the marching arts. So please join, check out their website, marchingartseducation.com. Hey everybody, it's Tim Hinton, the beast of the marching arts. I'm here with Frank Doherty. Frank, how are you? I am very well, Tim. Good to see you. So great to see you again. Thank you for being here to share some of your time and your expertise with us, everybody. We're going to be talking about Three things I wish I'd known when I started teaching. And Frank, I know that like it's hard to narrow this down to three. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, was that hard for you? Uh, no. I, well, the thing is, I never had a real job. I never felt like I had a real job. So um, the uh, it's easy. Uh, I can say that um, I've uh, been an audio producer for 40 years. And uh, before that, uh, started out in uh, drum corps and marching band. And uh, that seemed like a logical progression. And I continued both of those things uh, at the same time and continue to this day. And uh, also 35 years worth of uh, teaching at a community college, uh, teaching music business and uh, arranging and uh, audio production. And also before that, uh, seven years teaching in high school. So like I said, couldn't hold a job. Um, (laughs) Or at least couldn't hold one job, needed three. (laughs) <laughs> or four. 
Well, of course, everybody knows who you are, Frank. You're legendary in the world of drum corps and, and instructing and everything. So I'm so excited that we are getting to talk about this. So, all right. Great background. Of course, everybody knows the great work you've done. Um, where would you start? What was the first thing that you would want to tell someone that you wish you had known? Well, you know, I think the first thing I wish I had known was uh, how hip the students really are. Uh, let, let me let me t give you a little anecdote about that. Uh, my, my my teaching preparation was not the same as most of the people that you're going to interview. Uh, my degree is in political science. My path was supposed to be law school. And uh, the Army interrupted that. And after that, I decided, you know what, I really am a musician, so let's just go for that. Life is too short. Okay. But I began to look for a teaching job in order to support music. Now, the, the issue was, though, that my degree was not in education. It was not even in music. It's still not in music. Uh, so all of my, but I had been teaching from the time I was 17, uh, little parade drum and bugle corps and some marching band and that sort of thing. So I had teaching experience, but it wasn't the same as uh, taking classes in pedagogy and things of that nature. So most of my experience and most of the things I learned, I learned in on-the-job training. So it wasn't as if I had somebody, uh, I, I can say, I wish they had told me this, I wish they had told me this, but what did I wish I knew? Well, there's a book called Teaching as a Subversive Activity. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, I saw it in a bookstore one time, and I said, well, I'm going to be a teacher. I think I better, I better read something about teaching. Um, and uh, the reason I got a job, by the way, was because um, uh, these, these little inner city uh, parochial schools really needed teachers, and they were paying next to nothing. And so uh, the people that really knew how to do it wouldn't take those jobs. But I was I was eager. Anyway, I picked up this book. Unbeknownst to me, uh, these are not the things that they wouldn't tell you. Nobody's going to tell you these things. Subversive, how subversive this was. But a uh, quick uh, anecdote in how I learned uh, to understand how hip the students really are. Um, in the book, there is a uh, an interview. Or, or a reference to an interview with Ernest Hemingway, wherein a, uh, an interviewer asks him, what is the one thing you need to know to be a great writer? Now, substitute teacher for writer here, okay? Well, what is the great, the, the best thing, or what is the one thing you need to know, if you could boil it down to one thing? And he said, in order to be a great writer, you must have a foolproof crap detector. And I thought to myself, you know, that's pretty good. You know, that's a pretty, and put, file that away. My first day on the job, it's a little uh, school in Jersey City, inner city school. And I, w I got the job because three people before me had sort of burned out in one semester. And that was because these were seniors that they were trying to teach and uh, they were tough city kids. Well, I grew up in New York City, and I thought I could handle tough city kids, and I didn't think I was going to have a problem with any of this. So I walk into the room, and I'm writing my name on the board, and behind me, I hear some mumbling and, you know, chuckling and things like that. So I, fresh out of the Army, by the way, P.S., I turn around and say, look, I don't know what you people are used to, but in my class, nobody talks. 
and I turn around. Now, they're all eyeballs open, and everybody sits up straight, and I think, okay, got that. I turn around to write on the board again. I step right into the waste paper basket. <laughs> and it gets stuck on my foot, and it's like a comedy routine, okay? <laughs> I've got, I'm, I have my back to the class. My foot's in the waste paper basket, and I realize I'm toast. I'm done. And at that moment, there was nothing else to do. I turned around, I looked at everybody, and I and they don't know whether they should, they should laugh or not. And I just said, well, I guess that tough guy act's not going to work with you guys, huh? And the place just erupted in laughter with, a, with me leading the laughter. I get the thing off my foot. I never had one stick of a problem after that relating to those kids. Why? Because they understood that... I was a genuine person. I was going to be genuine with them. And their crap detector did not have to kick in with me because we all have had that, right? This person is giving me a line. You know? No, no, from that point out. So it validated what I had, what I had read. So the one thing I realized about teaching, uh, and it was, again, it's on the job. It's not, nobody, nobody told me this. this is something I wish I had known going in in the first place, not have to have an embarrassing situation like that. But it was that... Uh, if you want to teach people, they have to trust you. And the only way they're going to trust you is if you reveal who you are. That means your vulnerabilities. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be genuine. Because then they will believe you. And you can cop to not being perfect because guess what? You won't even have to do that. They're gonna, their little detector is going to detect when you're not perfect anyway. So just that's I think that's a, the most valuable lesson for me was to discover uh, that one about the about the detector and understand that everybody has one of those and that it's going to kick in and especially uh, uh, students have those. So I that's, think that's number one. Be genuine. I think that's really profound, Frank. I love that you started with that because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we can always tell when we interact with anyone. If they're just giving us a line or if they're really being real, um, students, especially these days, can can really tell that. The thing I love also, Frank, is the last couple of years, people keep talking about this. Like there's a switch. Like I've been doing these these interviews for, what, 12 years now or whatever, something like that. And and this is a difference. Now people literally the last couple of years, a lot of instructors keep talking about I'm going to be an authentic in front of the students. I'm going to be my real self. When I do that, it gives them permission to be their real self. Um, so it's amazing to me that you figured this out so quickly because I think a lot of people worry about what happens if I really show everything I don't know. Right. I, and and it's, uh, it's a little bit scary, but it's also... Uh, we know that there's a big turnover in, in, in uh, the teaching profession, and particularly in music education. And what happens at some point uh, to the people who leave is they say, you know what, this is not the right place for me. So you better find out if it's the right place right away. And one of the best ways to find out is to just be who you are and see how it goes as opposed to trying to be the drill sergeant or the whatever. Now, the, I'm not saying not to have standards. That's another, that's an, would be, that's another thing. Of course. You, you must have that. Of course. But, uh, but the, the, uh, uh, no matter how good your, uh, your content is, uh, your delivery 
is is uh, is more important because uh, uh, people, as I say, they have to trust you. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think back to when I started teaching, um, I was very worried about my students finding out how much I didn't know, and oh, sure. I yeah. and and I wish that I, I. It took me a while to figure out that they didn't care; <laughs> they just wanted me to be me and be do my best. But, uh, but the thing that saved me, Frank, I think is what you're talking about is that I really was being myself and I was giving them everything I had to give and they knew it. And so that was all they needed, you know, and I wish I had just been able to relax earlier in my career and know like, you know what? It's okay. If they realize I don't know very much about this thing over here, I can ask somebody, I can find out. Amen. That's right. And it's particular. It's, it's more so now, I think, especially in terms of, of uh, almost of, almost any subject, because uh, now we have that little uh, uh, pocket terrorist, you know, uh, <laughs> called a cell phone. Right. <laughs> in our, this this guy. And uh, oh, yeah, here you go. I, here, I'm a Luddite. OK, I'll cop to it. <laughs> right. It's my, my fault. Um, uh, but someone can check you in a minute. And in fact, before you ever walked in in front of that rehearsal or into that classroom, they already know who you are, or at least they know what your reputation is on uh, social media. Right. So now you really are exposed uh, beforehand. Uh, so that's just another level, which I didn't have to deal with until I got to the recently in, in, in the college and people started telling me in class, Oh yeah, I saw you. Uh, you know, you played in that individual contest at uh, DCA a couple of years ago. You know, and uh, and I realized, oops, wow, you know, good thing I, uh, good thing, <laughs> yeah, good thing I, I wasn't terrible, you know. Uh, no, there's, there's, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, that's very interesting. The world is really different than it used to be, by the way. You'd have nothing to be ashamed of with your flip phone. I love it. Uh, you're actually kind of hip, I think, those are coming back. Uh, you're extra hip, oh, yeah, well, no, well, yeah, everything that <laughs> it always circles. But what's interesting is I also think social media has that weird thing where a lot of times people are showing you what they want you to see and who they want you to think they are. But I still right. think even with that sort of template, I think that people know. They can still tell. They still know if you if that's who you really are. They, they I think we can all read between those lines. Yeah, and that's something that was not at the front of my mind when I started teaching. Like I, I was not thinking about, well, are they going to know? No, I, my, what, what was in the front of my mind was, uh, how do I keep take control of the situation? You know, I'm the adult in the room. I have to, you know, that. that so that was, I think that was the most. Uh, you, you used the word profound. It certainly was the most profound thing, you know, for me. That was so. That's number one. I think it's huge, and I think I love that your answer to figuring out how to control your students was to really be yourself. That to me is is a really empowering thing. Okay, so what's number two? Okay, so number two, uh, this is a uh, going to the other side of the brain now. Okay. Um, this has to do uh, with uh, kind of the logistics of how one can be successful. I think, as a as particularly as a as a band uh, director or a uh, uh, guard, uh, you know, instructor or, or or something like that. And that is, you teach the students, but you recruit the parents. Wow! Because without the support of the parents well any band director will tell you these days that nobody's rolling in money and they're the ones who are going to help you fundraise but that's just the surface level of it um you know you have a big concert coming up you don't want that uh, 
young person to come to you and say, look, uh, this is our weekend to go to Disneyland. Right. And you know, my, my dad says we have to go to Disneyland. So uh, if, if you have parents who understand what the commitment actually is and that they are, um, uh, in effect, uh, uh, turning over their student to you at certain times and places and the importance of that, the real and I'll give you another sort of anecdote about this. It goes way back to when I was about 18 years old. I was I was marching in a drum corps in, in uh, New York called the, the Long Island Sunrisers, and they were pretty good at the time. And um, we were hired to do a uh, uh, in between games exhibition at a at a New York Mets uh, doubleheader. But before I could go uh, to uh, the uh, uh, the game that day, my father said, uh, or, or the, the day before, my father said, look, you have to mow the lawn. So I said, okay. So I go out to mow the lawn. I start up the, the lawnmower, and they had repaired the blade and not put it on properly, and the blade came off and hit me in the foot. So I end up in the hospital, uh, and uh, the night before, we're supposed to do this kind of thing. And uh, uh, I get released, but I've got a cast, you know, and all of that. And my father says, well, you know, you can't go to that. Uh, you're not going to go to this shows this, uh, this weekend. After all, it's just an exhibition. It's not a contest anyway. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I have to go. I, I, I have to go. Uh, I, I'm, I, I play solos. I'm like, you know, I, I, I have to go. They depend on me. He said, look, you, you can't go. I said, look, Dad, I won't march. Okay, I'll stand in the, in the front. I was in what we call the pit today. I'll stand in the front. I'll play my stuff from, from up there. He says, well, I'm not happy about this, but okay. So, of course, I go, and, of course, I march. And, of course, <laughs> the thing is televised, and he sees it. <laughs> now, any normal parent would have grounded me for the rest of my life and said, you can no longer be in that drunk court. But you know what he said to me when I got home? He said, you know, that must be really important to you because I'll bet that hurt like hell. What a smart man. And I, and so late, years later, I realized that's the kind of parent I want for my band kids. You know, who understands things at a whole other level. Not that he would put this kid in danger, but, but that he understands how important it is to that young person to play that performance. And I don't care if it's the state championship, whatever, or it's a delicatessen opening. That's a, that's a performance and that's how we, that's how we roll. So, so that's number two was, was understand that the, you know, you're not, you're teaching the student, but you're recruiting the parent. Yeah. You know what that and makes me think? Has... No, you're abs I love it. What a great story, Frank. What it makes me think of is something very along the same lines that, that I learned somewhere along the line. Um, and that was that the, you have to talk and teach the parents. That's what you're really talking about. Because, you know, we spend so much time standing in front of our students and telling them that's the philosophy of our program. This is what's important to us, blah, blah. But a lot of times people forget to do that with the parents. The parents have to understand all of that, too, to the point you just made. You know, this is this is what's important to us. So that when the parents are singing in a contest, they know to clap for every band. They understand about the, the way that you're teaching your students to think about competition and performance. Your parents, your band parents, your whoever your parents are, or your students, they need to learn those things too. And it's it's hard to think about taking the time for that. But to your point, that's how you're going to get them to understand exactly what you're doing. 
and and you have to decide uh, you know how you're going to carry that off uh, you know, first thing is to be as welcoming as possible uh, to families uh, of your students uh, to the extent of actually doing performances for them, you know, to have a family night or something like that or a family uh, family day. Uh, it's not like you can call up and say, all right, all parents show up at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. We're having I'm going to tell you about this. You know, that's not going to work. Right. But if you can get, if you can do something for them, you know, have a special performance. Or anytime you do have a performance and parents are in the audience, you make sure that you say something about those people and about how important they are and about how you could not have what you just witnessed without them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something I don't I'm not sure that. uh, See, I I didn't I didn't go, you know, to those pedagogical uh, classes. So I don't know if anybody says this in in, in, uh, music prep. But these are the kind of no, but these are the kind of things that nobody ever does tell you. For example, another idea, Frank, my friend Greg Basham was a wonderful band director. Now he's a school administrator because, you know, that's how they they all end up in charge. Um, But he used to talk about how at the end of practices he would go out Instead of going to sit in his office, he would go out and be amongst the parents picking up the kids. Hello, Mrs. Smith. How are you? And like have time talking to them. And like, you know, all of us think, oh, man, that's that's something that's but that's like how he got to know them and win them over by going and being his authentic self and getting to know them all and, and using those times. Brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, however, it, you, however it works for you. And again, it's your teaching is a function of your personality. So, so if your personality is such that you can actually do that, right. you know, that, you, that you're a meet and greet kind of person, right? Then you go and you talk to you talk to her, and you say, uh, "Hey, Mrs. So and So, you know, whatever, and just what at whatever level, and just be a human being, and just be because yeah, band is important, and all the things we do, all that stuff's important. We tend to puff ourselves up a little bit about it too, you know, about how important it is that we're teaching all these wonderful life lessons, and you know, we're the most important thing going. On the other hand, we might be the most important class because there are going to be students who the only reason that they come to school is to be in the band. Absolutely. They could care less about, you know, uh, trigonometry or whatever else is, you know, is going on. Uh, and they may they may not even have good grades, although most music students do, oddly enough. And I suppose we could talk about that for a long time, too. But but the only th- that might be the only motivation. It's the same with the sport. I know that and it might be the only motivation for that for that person. Right. You know, but so, people you know, need to remember why why kids do what they do and what's important to them and how right. important those things are. Yeah. Right. Great and, point. and you and you as a as a as an, uh, um, an instructor or, or, or a director or whatever, you need to uh, assure those parents that you understand how important this is to their particular child. Yeah. And make sure the parent knows. Yeah. I love that. OK. Yeah. Wow. These are great. All right, I, I can't wait to see what the third one is. Oh, well, okay. You know, it's funny when you, when you uh, mentioned this to me, I thought, how do I get to three? And I'm sure everybody says that, right? They all say, how do I get to three? I've got, there's so many and there are things I don't know now that I, I, I'm going to wish I knew, you know, a year from, from now that, that, that somebody would have told me. But uh, um, so to come up with a third one, and that these are in no particular uh, uh, order, actually, um, is uh, this one you can relate to as an adjudicator. Uh, as an adjudicator, we balance the, the what and the how, right? Uh, we're trying to determine, you know, what are they doing and, and how well are they doing it? But as, as an educator, um, 
uh, I have to say, I really believe that the how is more important than the what. And the reason, the reason why I say that is that you're not trying to impart uh, factual information or even technique to your students. I don't think that's the priority. Yes, you are doing that, but I don't think that's the most important thing. The most important thing is you are teaching them how to learn. And that will encompass everything beyond music and, 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 and the rest of their lives. You are teaching them techniques for how to assimilate this information, not the information itself. You know, uh, here's an analogy. The, we say, think, if I say the word music to you, 90% of the people see a piece of paper with dots and dashes and lines and that's not music. That is not the music. That's a roadmap. And yet it's the content we use, right? That's that's a roadmap to the music. What's the music? The music is what just happened in the air. Da -da 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 -da. That was music, okay? So now it's gone. It's ephemeral. It's not it's not really that you, you can't hold it in your hand. So, so it, this is how do I relate to something that's not physically corporeal, you know, physically real? Uh, how do I learn how to impart the lessons that are in, in that? Uh, the how is important. How to learn and not only how to learn from you because you're such a wonderful teacher and you are you know, uh, so open and, and, and genuine and all of that, but how are you going to learn from people that are not like that or how are you going to learn from in other situations? So, so I really think for, from the, uh, the point of view of being uh, an educator, your real job is to teach your students how to learn. I would have um, people come to me at the college level uh, sometimes now it's a, it was a, a, a community college. So uh, generally speaking, I'm talking about freshmen and sophomores in a four-year uh, college. So their parents are still pretty much involved in, in this. And I would occasionally have parents call me and say, "What uh, you know? What what's the most important thing you know for my my for my son or my daughter? If she wants to be a recording engineer. You know what what classes should she take? I said, well, obviously the recording engineering classes, but she's going to take classes in reading and literature. Well, why? Well, because you're going to have to read a manual that was translated from Japanese into German and then into English. And you're going to have to understand nuance. And you're going to have to understand vocabulary. You need vocabulary more than anything else. And you also are going to need to be able to communicate verbally with people. So if you're going to be a recording engineer, you need, how to, you need to know how to talk to the musician. You need to know how to, uh, how, how to how, if you're going to be a producer. See, that was my role. I was a producer. So I had to learn how to say certain things. Uh, for example, uh, we do a take and it's not very good. And you can say, gee, that was not very good, guys. We better do that again. Or you can say, uh, in the history of music, um, uh, probably not the best moment. So let's do it again. Or... <laughs> okay. Or, uh, you know what, what do you guys think? And just the tone of your voice will impart, yeah, you know, maybe we could do that. Maybe we should, maybe we should do that again. But, uh, but how do you relate to people? How do you take the information from them? How do you parse it? How do you, uh, learning how to learn? So it's not, uh, other people will say, well, I, I don't know what I should study in college. I think I should study, uh, I'll, let me take a cliche. I think I should study business administration. 
because I want to get a job. And I would always say to my students, well, you know, don't worry about getting a job. They say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, why? Well, we're all going to have jobs. Why? Because we have to. We're all going to have jobs. So don't don't worry. So, and you're going to change your mind three or four times. So better you should, you know, take classes that you want to take and you're interested in taking uh, as opposed to ones that you think you should take for some, you know, now there are exceptions to this. You want to be a doctor, you better take, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, in reality, what you what you have to learn is how to learn. You know, me, I was going to go to law school. I took pre-law. I had all this stuff and I ended up being a musician. But I learned how to learn. I learned how to read and I learned how to listen. And, and it, it's not the subject matter itself. It's not the what. The what is not that important. Use the what to learn the how. Use the what to learn how to learn. Because then you can learn anything. And if you might start out as a classical uh, you know, trombonist, but want to play the bluegrass banjo, and you won't be starting from square one because you've learned how to learn. So uh, I, I think that's a, that's kind of a that's, it's one that has to be finessed a little bit, but but that's one of the things that I wish I had known originally. It wasn't delivering the content that was important. It was delivering uh, the the uh, uh, the knowledge of how to deal with the content. Yeah, that's such, and there are lots of ways to do that. Yeah, this gosh, what these are such smart analogies, Frank. Like I'm so enjoying this conversation because, like, as you, to your point, when we think of the job of a recording engineer, we think of they have to know how to move all those buttons and dials and run the equipment and everything. But you're right, that's that's not really what they're doing. They have to figure out how to get that recording they want. Well, let me let, let me just interrupt you because I had a thought, and and it and it, again, it's an anecdote, okay? But uh, and again, it goes back to my childhood. Uh, television was black and white when when I was a kid, you know, when I was a little kid, when we first got one, and it was a big deal when we got one. And then one of the things it would do was that it would it would interfere, there would be interference or something, and it would roll, you know, the picture would roll. And my father called the repairman one day. And my dad, you have to understand about my dad, he was a bartender in Times Square in New York City. So uh, we had, before we had psychiatrists and, and, and psychologists and people like that, uh, uh, counselors, we had bartenders and hairdressers, you know. Oh, they're still uh, doing that work, Frank. They're still yeah, doing that work. <laughs> but anyway, so the repairman comes over to fix our TV, <laughs> which was doing this roll thing, you know. And uh, the guy comes in, he turns the, the, the cabinet around, he takes out a screwdriver, he looks at it, he goes, uh-huh, boom turns it around, everything's fine. It took him, I would say, probably, you know, two minutes. And this was in the 1950s. And so my father says, wow, you fixed that. That was pretty good. He said, uh, my, my, my pragmatist father, you know, he says, well, you know, look, that was pretty good. He said, what do I owe you? And the guy says, well, you know, you owe me $10. My father says, $10? $10? All you did was turn a screw in, in the back, you $10? $10? He said, I, I think you should give me an itemized bill. So the guy says, okay, fine. Uh, $1 for turning the screw and $9 for knowing which screw to turn and how much. Great. And there's your recording console analogy right there. Right. Okay. It's, it's you, you, sure, you need to know how to drive the car. You need to know how to drive the Mercedes, but you also need to know what road to go down and what the speed limit is. Okay, and what the road conditions are, and how to so you can make the right choices. That's what I mean about learning how to learn. 
It's great. You know, the other thing around this that I'm thinking of is that one of the things I found a lot of instructors don't do well is hand the learning over to the students, you know, and sometimes we'll go to a clinic and we see this, the staff is doing all the work, you know, whereas when you, you know that when you see a really fantastic group performing, those students have taken control of their own learning and their own work and their own right. show. And that's what's so thrilling about it. But so many direct, so many instructors that I have worked with over the years don't understand that idea of teaching them to learn and take control of their Precisely. own performance. Precisely. You have to teach them how to own it. Yes. Okay. And so or be willing to let go and, of it. And even even to the point of just – so maybe you don't know how to teach them how to own it, but you can certainly say, you know what? You need to own this. <laughs> you need to own this. This is your show. You know, uh, I'm not the helicopter instructor that's going to be out there going, oh, move three steps to the left. No, no. You got to own that you need to uh, split the distance between you and the person on either side of you. You, you be, you be, you're, you're responsible and you're right to turn it over to them and realize and, and let them understand that they have a right to it and that they ultimately are going to own it. I mean, it's their show. And They're the ones that are going to go out there and, and, and march around right, right, and perform right, it. Right. Yeah, we'll stand on the side and take all the credit, but uh, you know, but they're, but, no, but but they are going to own it, and the and the the result, the outcome, whatever it may be, is in their hands, not ours. But once you, know, you get that built into the culture, then that that works. But that's not always baked into the culture of the group that they have to take control. And hey, it's really my responsibility if I learn this music and this set. You know, Let, let's take it. Let's take it a step further. Uh, when when you uh, have a couple of students who really get to that point where they do understand these things and they do know how to own it, and now do you turn some of the instruction over to them? You know, there was a man, th this name might be familiar to you uh, because I know when you, when you marched in, in drum corps, he was still active. His name was Dr. Bernard Baggs. Oh, gosh, he legendary. E-A-G-G-S, okay? Oh, and Dr. Baggs was, without going into his full resume, uh, at, at the time of this little little story, he was the fine arts director or the performing arts director for, at the Bergenfield High School District in New Jersey. And I was teaching the cadets, uh, then known as the Garfield cadets. And um, I, was, I, I, was, I had a conundrum which I won't even go into. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. And I didn't know what to do about, about this, this certain thing. And I, and I went to see him and I said, what, uh, Dr. Braggs, what do you, you know, what do you think I should do? And he said, well, I have two things to tell you. He said, first of all, as far as that question is concerned, he said, what does, what does Frank Darty think he should do? He put it right back on me. <laughs> Boom. Like, okay. All right. And I said, okay, oh, I, I, I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to teach now. I'm, I'm going into school systems and all of that. He said, well, I have a word of advice for you as a teacher. I said, what's that? He said, be on the lookout for Mozart. And I said, what? He said, be on the lookout for Mozart and know what to do with Mozart if he shows up. You know what? Wow. One of those kids sitting in front of you at that band rehearsal in that French horn section is Mozart. You know, one of these, or, or a, a Mozart, you know, yeah. substitute. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a Mozart of, of, you know, Bergenfield sitting in, fr in front of you. And you need to recognize that and not 
you know, hide that person, but, but encourage that person and allow that person to bloom. Now that that's I snuck that in. That's another one of those things I wish I had known. <laughs> but but that's but since we got on that subject of turning over, you know, turning the thing over to the to the student, you know, turning over the responsibility to the student, you have to recognize when it's time to do that. I, I mean, that's a little Mozart sitting there, and and maybe hey, why don't you write the chorale? That's or amazing. Why don't you write, or why don't you write the warm up flag work? Right. Right. Okay. You've seen other people do this. Why, why you? That is how, again, I, I go back to my, my learning uh, of, of how to teach it came from instances like that, where my mentors, my instructors in drum corps did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. So no, you, you write this. And of course, you know, you, you, you watch them and you guide them and you fix, you know, the, the issues if they, they come up. But that is one of the best ways, and that will perpetuate this activity, this beautiful, wonderful, you know, pageantry music activity that we're involved in. You know, uh, it will perpetuate it if we can bring those next people up and stop thinking about, okay, we're in charge, or we're the, you know, right, we're the we're the deal, and we're the only ones that know. We have the knowledge, and we're in the big tower, and we have all the all this knowledge. That's nonsense. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it'll go away. It will be a plaque on a wall somewhere. You know, whatever your your great your great marching band was, someday it'll just be a little, a little or, or you know, a photo on the wall in the band room. Oh yeah, we used to be good back in the day, and then you know, why why aren't you good anymore? Well, you know what? We did not do that. We didn't nurture yeah. uh, the, the next generation. Yeah, and, and at the risk of sounding a little crazy or or whatever, um, I'm not saying I was a Mozart, but I can tell you that my band director did that for me. Like you're saying your instructors did for you. Like he recognized something that I was excited about or a, a skill I had and nurtured that. And he was very important to me. He was sort of the first person to do that in my life in such a big way. Got it. Ditto. Okay. Uh, did it right back at you for that. Yeah. And, and it was, and it was, it was the, the combination of your excitement for it and your, uh, uh, your ability. And it wasn't even ability. It was, it was ambition and drive. Okay, because you know what? I know what a good player you are. You know, I know that. Uh, I saw that. I, 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 you know, been there, got the T-shirt, the whole thing. But, uh, (laughs) but you know how you got you how you got that way. There's a lot of people that are just as talented as you, and and talented as me, or more talented than us, that end up not achieving at those levels because nobody blended those two things for them. Nobody, nobody said, okay, you're excited about this, right? And here's how you how you you do that, and and uh, uh, now what now what now what and it, you're, it fed your I will take desire as a, uh, even in a competitive situation, I will take desire over ability any day. Yeah, oh, any day. of course. Okay, because uh, the prima donnas you can have all the prima donnas in the world if they're not working for you. You know, if they're all about themselves, forget it. But I'll take, you know, blue collar, working class, you know, kids that can't spell. But, (laughs) you know, I'll take those people any day as long as they have the ambition, the motivation. And I think that's what you had. You had the uh, the ambition to to take what was in front of you and 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 run with it. Now, some people are going to call this obsession. And you know what? I don't care. It wasn't it didn't hurt me. No, I don't care if it's, but I don't care if it's obsession. How do you get good? You get obsessed with something. If you're, if you're, if you're laid back and casual about everything in your life, well, all right, you, you're okay. You're probably going to be okay. You're not going to have any real problems, but you're not going to have any real success either. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, I, I, 
if anybody that's listening to this conversation, I did a podcast conversation with my band director, uh, Mr. David Coles, where I was able to say thank you to him. And that's that's out there on the Marching Around Table podcast. That meant a lot to me. And Frank, I want to share this with you. I, I love telling the story. I still remember the day I was standing in the band room at my high school. I think it was probably a junior in high school. And he put the Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet ballet on the stereo and I heard it. Wow, and literally, yeah. I literally credit that as a life changing moment. I was never the same. And like, the, I, I always appreciated that. Like, that's the kind of thing he gave me this idea of those sounds are possible. I had never heard that before. Exactly right, and 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 it's funny you mentioned that that piece because uh, I know you're a horn player, and and the first thing you did when you got home that I was try to play some of those violin intervals, and it was like what? That's impossible! How could how could right. anybody? Right, and then the next thing I did was run out to a record store at the time, everybody, and buy that yeah. full ballet yeah. and listen to it endlessly. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was. It was just, I'm never, I'll never be able to thank him enough for that. And of course, a million other things that he opened me up to, to, you know, other music and other, but anyway, I I love telling that story because that was literally a life changing moment for me. Oh, sure. And you know what? I think all of us have, uh, all of us who remained in music education have moments uh, or at least one moment like that. Sure. And yeah. it's always a human moment. It's not an accident. It's like somebody showed you, they said, Hey, come here, hey kid, come here, look at, hey, look, look at this. Right. Right, love it. Wow, anyway, you know, there, there they are. There's my, there's my three things. Frank, I, I mean, I thought this was going to be a good conversation, but like this was just absolute an absolute joy. I loved everything about this exchange and and hearing your anecdotes and sharing this great advice. This was such a fun conversation. I, I wish we could talk for another hour, but uh, we'll stop for well, today. Someday, someday, someday we will. We we will do this again for sure. I I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Anything you want to say in wrapping up to everybody? Well, just that, um, uh, again, reiterate, just be who you are. uh, And you will find out if you're going to be, if you should be a teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, I loved it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. See you, Tim. Watch for more conversations like this one from successful educators in the marching arts and music education. Find similar inspiring topics like this in the over 1,100 podcasts at the Marching Roundtable or in the hours and hours of webinar videos and interviews at marchingartseducation.com. We are so grateful that so many of the very top educators and designers in our activity have talked with us and shared their secrets freely. You can learn from these top marching arts professionals at any time and our website at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. This is Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. You can find out more about me at beastofthemarchingarts.com and check out our new bed and breakfast at phantomhistoryhouse.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach, and with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.